0: You're listening to the Mzanzi Wako podcast. What we discovered is that in many cases when grandparents are trying to encourage their grandchildren to take treatment, to take antiretrovirals, they draw on stories about their mothers who are often dead or or absent. And so it was really fascinating to see how treatment itself became a kind of exercise of remembering and honoring a mother who didn't have access to the same treatment or who struggled with treatment or for for some reason did not succeed
1: on treatment in the way that this grandchild now has the opportunity to. In this episode, we speak to Beth Vale, a former project manager on the Mzanziwako project who got involved back in 2012 when it was in its infant stages of planning at Oxford University as well as the University of Cape Town. She has a background in community health work with her master's degree at UCT on the subject co-supervised by Mzanziwako co-principal investigator Dr. Rebecca Hodas. Professor Lucy Koover was the co-supervisor of her Oxford doctorate. I started by asking Beth what her responsibilities were within the Walker project.
0: I was one of the earliest of
1: the project managers and for me
0: what got involved was leading the qualitative arm of the project. So we had a team in East London that were working on developing a big quantitative survey. And meanwhile, I was doing a smaller scale ethnography with around 23 families uh, in and around Moshua, a rural area near Pedi, and also Um, the kind of peripheral informal settlements of uh, Grahamstown. So that ethnographic study was designed to inform how the survey would work, what kinds of questions we would ask, but also get us some really rich detail about what adolescents and families' lives are like on
1: treatment. How did this project come about and how did you get involved? I think that
0: Lucy had been speaking to uh, colleagues, particularly at UNICEF and in the department already in some ways about adherence in particular to antiretrovirals amongst adolescents. I had before I came to work with the team been working with community health workers on the outskirts of Cape Town and many of them were experiencing challenges with their adolescent clients or patients and so I when I wrote my proposal to do PhD work With Lucy, I said I really wanted to work with adolescents on treatment and to think about what their adherence struggles were. And I assume given that she had been having similar thoughts and conversations, that is when we started thinking about putting together a team. So it was really the very early stages, everything involved with the naming of the project and the logo. I, I was there
1: during that period. And when did you come on board? So that would have been at the end
0: of 2012 that I first arrived uh, in Oxford and and we began setting up a team. And initially, uh, Ilona Tosca and I did a lot of the early setup work and she was sort of driving the quantitative side of the work uh, while I was working on the qualitative side. And then later on, we brought Rebecca on to look at sexual and reproductive health in particular because I'd been looking at treatment
1: and medication practices for um, a good few months. The research is very broad and it takes an almost 360 degree look at these young people's lives. What did that mean for the rollout on the ground? When we first got
0: started, it was a little bit of an experiment. You think about someone like me who works in very kind of was very anthropological sort of methodology. So I, I try to spend a lot of time with a few families and know their lives and health workers and and to parents and um, and teens and friends and schools kind of in and out to see how treatment works and doesn't work in their in their daily life. And then to think about what that means when we also design a more quantitative study. So in terms of this sort of 360 view that you're talking about, what was really interesting was to watch how as the quantitative side developed, it informed what I was doing and vice versa. And we brought on people who could help us kind of delve deeper into some of the emerging themes. So, for example, stigma is, of course, a a big concern for adolescents. And Maria came on um, about, I'd say, midway through my fieldwork to begin thinking about how we might look at stigma. So a lot of her work has focused on stigma. Ilona has written a lot about sexual and reproductive health for adolescents because we were really interested that many adolescents who contracted HIV sexually were very difficult to find. Um, Whereas in my study, I had predominantly adolescents who contracted HIV at birth. Elona was very interested in those who had contracted HIV later in life. So what's really great, I think, is that there's just a high level of communication and curiosity in the team. And what that means for how it unfolds on the ground is that we are always open and curious about um, the different dimensions of how this epidemic unfolds for adolescents.
1: This project is deeply rooted in the community. So how did those connections come about? We
0: were very nervous about how we were going to do that. And it's always a challenge, particularly working with populations where the the kind of question under investigation is highly stigmatized. So people investigating, you know, drug use also find this problem. But also because these were young people who actually don't have legal right to consent. So we also knew we had to find their... Guardians. So, what we did uh, is, in my case, I partnered with an organization um, called the Kais Karma Trust, who were based in Hamburg, and I knew that they had been running treatment programs in the area for a long time, since before government rollout began. And so, they had been treating mothers, many of whom unfortunately died as a consequence of late access to treatment, but who had, in many cases, left behind young children who then they helped initiate onto treatment and had seen grow into adolescence. So they were an organization with a huge amount of expertise who, who we knew had been doing some work, although we weren't sure about the extent of it. And so we started by spending a lot of time with them. And even, you know, Elona from the quantitative team, we lived in Hamburg for kind of three or four months. We helped run some of their adolescent camps uh, with all the young people they had on treatment. We shadowed some of their community health workers to get a sense of who the families were and so that was the kind of process there. And, and then the health, the community health workers linked us to adolescents in other villages. And in Grahamstown, um, I had a kind of different approach where we began in the clinic, not with an NGO initially, and uh, we asked them about looking through their kind of patient records and whether we could, we could look at pulling out adolescents in particular and then have treatment supporters facilitate our linkages to those adolescents. We also worked with a really brilliant hospice support group that had a weekly support group meeting for adolescents who were on treatment. So it was really about learning how to collaborate and plug into existing
1: organizations who are doing incredible work. Getting access to those kinds of medical documents would need some thoughtful negotiations.
0: The process for um, getting research ethics approval, as as everyone well knows, is a very arduous process and for good reason particularly when we're working with questions that have such huge implications for illness and stigma and given that these are vulnerable young people. Um, so we we went through a really rigorous process of explaining the various ethical dimensions of our research to ethics committees in the UK, to ethics committees in South Africa, to the Department of Health at both national and provincial levels. So it was a long and grueling process that we took very seriously, But it meant that by the time we got to individual clinics, we already had a whole host of ethical approval, which helped us to gain their trust. But exactly as you say, our kind of reassurance to them, in addition to all these formal ethical procedures, uh, was to say this is a study where we are very committed to protecting the anonymity, uh, confidentiality, and well-being of our participants. And we hope that it will be able to improve the lives of the people that we are working with. Um, And, of course, the clinic has its own ethics um, and procedures. So we always were sitting next to data captures and next to a staff in the clinic who kind of collaborated with us in how to do this in the most sensitive, appropriate way possible.
1: What were some of the more surprising aspects that emerged from the research? So many things. I mean, I think methodologically so
0: in terms of what it would take to do the field work i think the thing that always surprises me um is how keen people are to tell their stories i was always very nervous particularly when first meeting a family because i knew i was coming to talk to them about really some of the greatest traumas in their family history and some of the most difficult kind of pieces of their lives to to manage and so i was always very nervous about that and how to do it in the best way and we obviously thought a lot of a lot about how best to do that but what was really interesting is actually how welcoming people were and how much they appreciated an opportunity to tell their story and feel heard and feel recognized so I always find that kind of surprising and endearing and that's not to say there are no challenges along the way or that we don't have to kind of negotiate all kinds of things with participants, but we very rarely had a case where participants didn't want to share what they had learned. Um, And then I think from a perspective of like the actual findings, um, there's there's so much fascinating stuff, but for me, the the kind of stories that I always remember are the ones of um, grandparents looking after orphaned grandchildren who've lost their mothers. Um, and I, we ended up writing uh, a paper on this, and it's, it's been so informative in how I've thought about treatment since. But what we discovered is that in many cases, when grandparents are trying to encourage their grandchildren to take treatment um, and to take antiretrovirals, they draw on stories about their mothers who are often dead or, or absent. And so it was really fascinating to see how treatment itself became a kind of exercise of remembering and honoring a mother who didn't have access to the same treatment or who struggled with treatment or for for some reason did not succeed on treatment in the way that this grandchild now has the opportunity to. So I was always interested that a process we always treat as being so medical, this thing of taking pills, actually became a really important way for families to heal and reconnect and remember after significant grief.
1: Dr. Rebecca Hodes says that not all research needs to have policy impact and that sometimes research is just blue sky research and that it's theoretical and about the ideas. But what is the next step for Mzanti Wako and for you?
0: In many ways Rebecca is right but we also are very privileged to be on a project that at least in my mind has lots of whether they're next steps, but ongoing sort of steps. So it's constantly evolving. Even since I've been outside of it, I've watched whole new arms develop. We have absolutely stunning teen advisory groups that give input on policy all the time. And the project has had a huge impact on on policy. We've helped to write a lot of interesting stuff. But since I left, I have still been co-authoring quite a lot of papers with our team, which has been a joy, And and so I'm in regular contact with a lot of the team. But uh, I went on to do a postdoc for a while that also, in a way, was around young people, but around urban questions, particularly around night clubbing, uh, which is a fun break from from only looking at kind of health and illness to also thinking about forms of celebration elsewhere. And now I'm uh, working at a policy think tank called the Mapungubwe Institute, that deals with a whole lot of social development questions around policy. But it's been really great that I've been able to work on one project around epidemics where, again, I've um, drawn a lot on the kind of lessons of this work to reflect on other epidemics uh, in South Africa and across the continent and what we can learn for the future of health systems in the country. So it it definitely continues to inform a lot of the work that I do now. For me the most important lesson about this project that i think is often very rare in the health field uh, is how much effort has gone into bringing people together from such a wide variety of disciplines and um, we often have people in public health working in one silo and then a doctor working in another silo and then some humanities people in another silo and it's very rare that we come to a kind of health policy question with such a wide variety of Interdisciplinary experience, and I think that's part of what's made it such a big success.
1: Stay with us in our next episode for more from the Mzanzi Wako team.